Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we're talking about your 15 and 53 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker returns, and we talk about James Wiseman the player instead of James Wiseman the trade acquisition. We talk about Jade Nivey's much welcome in-season progress, and then we talk about how ugly it would be historically if the Pistons stay on this 15-win pace. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Hey, Laz. Good to be back. Uh, out of health and safety protocols. Good to, good to be back talking about, uh, talking about the Pistons. They haven't won since we talked last, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, how are you doing, Laz? I'm doing good. It's it's been a while. I got the uh, I got we have some family members and health and safety protocols as we speak, so I'm <laughs> sympathetic to you right now. But uh, it has been a while since we talked. Uh, but the first thing I want to talk to you about so was James Wiseman. We actually have physical uh, visual evidence of James Wiseman playing basketball for the Detroit Pistons in nine games so far. He's averaging 12, uh, 12 and a half points, eight rebounds a game less than an assist and like two turnovers a game. He's shooting 63% from the floor, 17% from three on like very low volume uh, in a block a game. So Ben, like with the benefit of actually like seeing him on the team and like maybe he's not like the best environment right now considering all the injuries. It's like, what have your thoughts been on James Wiseman so far? Yeah, I mean, so I'll start with the positives that I've seen. So I think first and foremost, obviously, you know, the athleticism and the physical tool set is obviously there. I think if you're an NBA GM and you've got the chance to pick that tool set up on the cheap, he's 21, I believe. I mean, I, I think you understand why. If you got a chance to take a flyer, you, you know, you take a flyer. Was Sadiq Bey a flyer? I mean, that that's over and done with. We don't need to relitigate that. But, you know, I get why you'd be attracted to the wingspan, the height, the raw talent. You know, I think the fact that he's been able to essentially put up pretty close to double-double numbers and then actually put up some double-doubles exclusively pretty much on just like raw physical abilities and talent is pretty impressive because he he doesn't really know how to play basketball yet. Like, I mean, that that's something, right? Like, I mean, he's able to... Put up, I mean, he scored, what, 20-something the other night against Washington? You know, and he's just doing that just on pure, raw stuff, which, you know, that that's impressive that he's able to do that. So I think, you know, that that's obviously something. And, um, you know, you mentioned the 17% three-point shooting. 
um, ignore that percentage for a second, he does have some shooting ability, right? Like he's knocked down some mid-range jumpers. Uh, I think I've seen him hit a pull-up or two as well. He's got a little bit of a shooting stroke. So that that's there too. So like his individual offensive skill set, like th- there's some stuff there, right? Like, so there's some, there's some raw talent. And I think, you know, that probably is about as much of the upside as I'm seeing. I think based on the notes last year, you're probably seeing some, some of the same stuff. Um, you know, on the downside, I think it's James Wiseman in the context of a five-man offense and a five-man defense is just incredibly underdeveloped and incredibly lost, I think is how I'd put it. Um, you know, if I'm playing NBA 2K, it's the defensive awareness and offensive awareness sliders that are just like, you know, they're they're at the minimum right now, right? Like offensively, he seems to just want to run to the low post and seal and throw his left hand up in the air, right? Like he just wants to post up all the time. He rarely sets um, off ball screens. And surprisingly, somewhat to me, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised by this, he doesn't even seem to want to get involved in the pick and roll that much. Um, he, he seems to just want to post up all the time, just demand the ball on the post. Um, so I, that has been, in my opinion, pretty disruptive to the five-man offense because he just, one, he just clogs the paint, two, because he doesn't seem to want to set any screens. What, what, is, what are the other four guys supposed to do? They just kind of stand around, right? I think most recently in the Indiana game, he he did seem to get involved in a little more of off-ball screening. Maybe that's because he's starting to learn some of the, the schemes and plays a little bit. So maybe I'm being a little harsh. Maybe he just hasn't known some of the plays. But And then defensively, uh, he I mean, he's just completely lost as a team defender. Um, the end of the Washington game is just, like, traumatic in terms of um, failing to box out at the free throw line giving up second chance points, um, getting just totally lost in rotations. And he, like as a help defender, like the end of Washington is particularly bad for me because like he, he has this habit of like wanting to try to help if someone gets in penetration, but not getting all the way there. And then just sort of like leaping to try to block the shot but being so far away from the guy who's penetrated that he's nowhere close to blocking the shot. So it looks like, again, like NBA 2K, like you just pushed Y, but you're nowhere close to the ball. So you're just like jumping foolishly away with no hope of blocking the shot. So defensively, he's he's really, really bad. Um, so like, um, you know, like if you look at any of the big men, who are our opponents since Wiseman has been on the floor. Like Eubanks was a pest in the Portland game. Porzingis torched him 68% true shooting percentage, which I think the Washington game was probably his best offensive output, but Porzingis just torched him. So, you know, his best offensive output was offset by just terrible defense against uh, Porzingis. Um, and then again against Indiana, I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah uh, uh, Jackson was just, I mean, feasted, just absolutely feasted. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, it, it, this is this is just a lot of what I expected. I mentioned when we acquired Wiseman. Um, I mentioned the fact that I've watched quite a bit of Golden State over the years because this has kind of been one of my pet teams. And this is exactly what I saw when I saw him play in Golden State. And one of the things that concerned me when we made the trade, I haven't seen anything about it in the nine, ten games we've seen him in Detroit. He was in a situation where he was surrounded by championship and Hall of Fame level talent, right? And he did not develop very much in any of these areas. And I've seen a lot of Pistons fans say things like, well, we just need to give him some time and surround him with better talent. Well, he, he was already he was already in a pretty much ideal scenario. You've got Clay and Steph and Draymond, etc., with a coach who's probably also is Kerr in the Hall of Fame yet? Is he in the Hall of Fame or not on his way to the Hall? If he's not there yet, he's gonna get there. I can't remember if he's in or not off the top of my head. Yeah, like I think as, as a coach, yeah, he's definitely gonna make it in. Yeah, I mean he's as a when you put the body work together, he's gonna get there. Steph's gonna be in the Hall of Fame, Clay probably too. Like he was already like in an ideal scenario. And you've got a link to this tweet in the notes that maybe you'll end up in our, uh, maybe you'll put this in the post for the podcast. There's this epic clip of Steph Curry demanding a ball screen from Wiseman. And like Wiseman stubbornly goes and sets a terrible ball screen and then goes and demands the ball in the post and then like rolls his eyes and his entire body when he doesn't get it. And it's a 20, 20 year old Wiseman demanding the ball from Steph Curry. I mean, what are we even doing here? And it's, it's kind of the same approach in Detroit, like just demanding the ball, like he's some hall of fame post scorer or something. So I don't know. I'm, I'm venting and ranting at this point. I, I, he's put up some decent numbers in the box score and that that's impressive. It shows that he's got some tools, but it's, uh, Everything else has been really, really poor. Um, and I would say, I put this out on Twitter this morning as I was watching the Indiana replay. Like, to me, Jalen Duran is just a better player still, and Jalen Duran is still really raw. So, yeah, I, I haven't been impressed so far. And Wiseman's a project, um, and it's a, he looks like a long, long term project. He's got just so much so much improving to do so the thing that has stood out to me about Wiseman is that it's like I having not watched as much Golden State as you I undersold like the size and the athleticism a little bit like he is a legit seven feet tall and is very athletic and is very mobile uh, like when he knows where to go and like knows where to be and so you could see him, you can definitely see why the intrigue is there. Uh, when he like when he first got to Detroit, you could see um, him make an impact on shots around the rim just by virtue of being like extremely large and extremely close to the rim. And if and if he's not like pressing Y at stuff he can't block, he can be like very intimidating around the rim. But he needs to be in good position for that to happen, and that has happened less than you would like um it you the thing that i keep coming back to is the thing you mentioned is that he it just really does not seem like he knows how to play basketball right now i've had 
people who are associated with other teams like reach out to me like when i tweet stuff about wiseman they dm me on the side and say like yeah like he's like the other guys around the league just know he like does not know how to play basketball right now and there is a case to be made that like that is not his fault right there was the ncaa thing at memphis there were the injuries his first two years essentially are just like were wiped and so it's not a huge surprise that not pay or and then like there was a pandemic in the middle right so it's like it's not a huge surprise that a guy who did not play a lot of basketball from age 17 and a half to age 22 now is like not a finished product it's not a surprise that he's raw like with that said he has so he has a long way to go defensively and the mindset he shows on offense does not lead me to believe that he will make those strides defensively. You mentioned the uh, the tweet about the terrible ball screen for Steph Curry. Um, a lot of people, a lot of Pistons fans, just like that I've seen, have noticed that like Corey Joseph doesn't want to pass to him, like Rodney Magruder doesn't want to pass to him, and it's like okay, yeah, like it's one thing for Steph Curry and it's one thing for Corey Joseph, like those are two very different players, but at the same time, like it's. If you don't set good ball screens and you just like demand the ball at the 12 foot mark, like you're not NBA athletes are making post entry passes tough. Like this is not college. Like you can't just get the ball into the post every time. And if you get the ball into the post, like you need to be able to, you know, actually execute a move. We see he does not have good hands. We've seen him get like leaped over for offensive rebounds. We've seen him stripped a bunch. Uh, we've seen, uh, guys be able to kind of like swim move around him to get to post entry passes. It's like he, he does not always like that is not always the best uh, sense of things. Um, the, the thing I keep coming back to in my notes is that when I look at him is like, he wants to be Joel Embiid, but without like realizing the stuff that makes Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is like all the defensive stuff. And he's the same size as Joel, right? Or, you know, he's the same height, same he's height, same, yeah. yeah, same like intimidation factor as Joel. Joel's like a, a lot bigger, you can tell. Um, and like you can tell he wants to have a similar package, right? He wants to be able to like face up from 18 foot and like shoot mid range jumpers. He wants to stretch it out to three. He wants to be able to like catch jab step and just like put it up. But the thing that makes Joel Embiid Joel Embiid is that he's like a defensive, he's like an all defense level player on the other end. And like James Wiseman just like isn't that right now. So in in saying that, he reminds me a lot of like Hassan Whiteside. Hassan Whiteside was like a, turned out to be like a relatively like effective NBA player, um, but was a guy who like whose overinflated uh, sense of like his own skill set is why he like did not get as far as perhaps his talent could have taken him in the NBA, and you know. James Wiseman has a lot of time. He's about to turn 22. I was looking at his best well reference page today. So he's like 21 in like 300 days. So like he's going to be 22 soon. He'll be 22 in the off season. Um, it's like the, the, I don't think any other NBA team is like clamoring to sign James Wiseman away from the Detroit Pistons. So they're going to have the opportunity to, to bring him back on whatever kind of contract they feel like they can get him on. And it looks like he's going to have the runway that, if he is ever going to need, if he is ever going to hit the the outsized uh, outcome, his talent like uh, portends, 
then like he's going to get that opportunity in Detroit. It looks like it's just really, really tough to see how it works at this point. And that's not to say like, that's not to say he can't be an NBA player, but I think the, the, the role they have him currently slotted in right now is like long-term backup center is probably a good one for him. What, what makes me concerned is if they like, they haven't done this yet, but they do seem really committed to the two big lineup. And I didn't put the two big lineup on the sheet, but like that is, that's been a thing that's been happening a lot. Um, even without Isaiah Stewart, who's like probably the only big I actually feel comfortable with, like at the four right now. Um, it's like if if you want to turn try try to fashion James Wiseman into some side sort of second big, a la you know Robert Williams, a la you know uh, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen type of situation, which are the examples that the coaching staff in the front office like keep bringing up. Oh, you, oh man, you guys should have seen Ben's eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't just instinct. <laughs> it's like they, they keep bringing this up as like a thing that they want to do. And it's like the thing that is the difference between what the Pistons are doing and what those other teams are doing is that those other teams have two bigs who are good on defense. And the Pistons right now have one big, like one and a half bigs. Like I trust Stu and I trust like Duran half the time. I don't trust Bagley and I don't trust Wiseman. And you can't play big with two bigs who are bad on defense. It's like, that's that's just not how it's going to work. Well, and I'm going to piggyback off that for a second. This isn't in the notes, but like, yeah. okay, consider Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham as your starting backcourt. Cade, obviously we don't know where Cade's health was at. We know he was hurt, but we don't know the extent to which it was impacting his athleticism and his mobility. But we can assume it was to some degree. But even as a rookie... Cade was not an above-average defender. He hasn't been known as a lockdown defender at any point in his career. Jaden has been a poor defender as a rookie. So I don't think you can expect either of them to be great next year. So let's say we've got two below-average guard defenders in our starting lineup next year. I think that's reasonable, at least for the start of the season. You assume Bogey as your starting three. Then you assume Stu... And then, I, I don't know who's going to start at center. They started Wiseman, even though Duran was healthy last night. But you assume one of those bigs. That de- Defensively, that lineup is going to be one of the worst in the NBA, right? Like, it, I don't see how it isn't. Like, because at one through three, that's Swiss cheese, man. That is not a good defensive perimeter lineup. And poor Stu, like there are some fours he's going to be able to defend, but there are mm-hmm. some fours who are going to absolutely give him fits. Like a guy like Jeremy Grant, for example, is just going to torch him. So, uh, uh, and then no matter how you shuffle the four guys that you have on the roster right now, it doesn't matter who you put at the four and who you put at the five, you're going to have disadvantages. So uh, defensively, man, I, Look, I, I've said on the podcast before, let's just go all on the offense and see what happens. This isn't really what I was hoping for. <laughs> I mean, this is not this is not uh this is not ideal. Yeah. And to kind of like wrap it up, for me at least, it's like the the problem to me is not giving James Wiseman the runway he needs to succeed. Like in and of itself, like that's not the issue. The issue is like the thought that like we want to be competitive in the next two years 
and like we want to give James Wiseman and Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart all these minutes to figure out uh, for help to help them like figure out how to play winning NBA basketball. Like those two things don't really go together in my mind. And next year is year four for okay. Troy Weaver. Right. And we're going to talk about their record later, but like this is this has not been a successful from a wins and losses standpoint. This has not been a successful front office tenure right now for the current general manager who is acquiring talent like he's going to be here for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. It's like I it's like can you assume that's the case? It was like I it from the outside looking in, like I I wouldn't, but I am on the outside looking in. So that's that. All right, Ben, let's talk about something good. Jaden Ivey's been so good over the last since the new year, since the new year. Uh in the calendar year 2023, Ivy's averaging almost 16 points a game, almost four rebounds a game, almost six assists a game. He's shooting 42% from the floor, 35% from three, and 73% from the line. He's averaging a like a combined like steal and block and three and a half turnovers a game. But that three and a half turnover mark is is high, but he looks so much more comfortable as a ball handler, as a guy who's like pressuring the rim, as a distributor. That those five, those six assists a game are, are much, much higher than what he was showing at the beginning of the year, even when Cade was out. Ben, I've been I've been so impressed what Jaden Ivey has done in terms of in season development uh, over the course of these last like eight weeks or so. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think there has been some legitimate real development and i'm gonna i'm gonna point out two things i'm curious to see some of the stuff you're noticing you're noticing too two things i think are real tangible legit improvements i think this is really impressive for rookies to do i think it's pretty rare that guys do this especially rookie guards i think this is pretty uncommon so early in the season i think Jaden really only had two speeds there was Jaden Ivey pretty much stopped, and there was Jaden Ivey at full speed. There was stop, yep. and there was go. Yep. And I think Kurt and Jaden Ivey, like right now, he's in real time figuring out the importance and benefit of slowing down, right? Like there's the halfway speed, mm-hmm. and then he's using his burst more selectively and when it's clearly advantageous, right? And I think that's keeping him out of a lot of trouble. So Jaden was getting himself, I've noted this several times, into all sorts of problems by sprinting into the middle of the defense and getting himself into no man's land off the dribble. So he'd get into the middle of the paint and then just jump with no clear clear plan of what to do. Or he'd get himself into a double or triple team and then have to bail out and throw it to Isaiah Stewart for a contested three or something like that. And those were, they wouldn't necessarily always result in a turnover, but they wouldn't result in a positive outcome, right? So it'd be almost as bad as a turnover. Jaden Ivey taking his time with the basketball is resulting in six assists a game. It's resulting in um, pull-up jumpers, which surprisingly, I've been skeptical of his jump shot, but it's turning into some pull-up jump shots, um, which is also a thing that's developing. And I, I think slowing down and finding... Uh, a second gear and a third gear and a fourth gear instead of just going all the way to sixth gear is real progress in the middle of the season. I think that's that's pretty significant and, and really impressive. Second and related, playmaking and passing. Um, 
I think because he's slowing down, he's seeing his teammates more in the middle of plays and in the middle of possessions. And instead of just passing when he needs to bail out of a bad situation, he's seeing positions or he's seeing his teammates when they're in positive situations, right? When they're in good situations to score or when they're open or able to, to make the next pass. Uh, and that's another real sign of progress. So Jaden Ivey, not just a slashing guard who's looking to score, but Jaden Ivey, a slashing guard who's looking to play make for others. That's the second thing I've seen. And I think ultimately that makes him a much more versatile player, which I think is something you're hoping for in year two, year three, year four, and instead you're getting it in like the third quarter of the season, which is, uh, I think, really impressive. So, you know, if you're scheming against Jaden Ivey, which is what you're doing right now, because he's probably the the guy you're scheming against if, if and when he's out of health and safety protocols, he's a much harder cover. Uh, and I think Jaden Ivey deserved a tremendous amount of credit for pulling this off uh, during the course of his rookie season. Yeah, when when people talked pre-draft about how much of a hard worker Jaden is and how he has like the right mentality to be successful, it's like this is this is the outcome that like people were talking about, right? Like this type of this type of in-season development. Normally, you guys you see players take leaps like this like during an offseason right you spend an offseason working on your playmaking like reads you spend an offseason working on your shot in the mid-range you spend an offseason on having a plan when you drive into the middle of the defense you spend an offseason on changing speeds like Jaden has done all of this during the season and that's been really really impressive to me um to bring up the third thing that I think that I've been most impressed by that uh you didn't mention uh, that you mentioned kind of in passing is the shot. Um, I've been a big doubter in his shot. Um, mechanically, it looked off, just like at times. The free throw shooting has come and gone. And like usually, you know, there's, there's the whole school of thought that like free throw shooting is a more accurate representation of what guys actually look like as a shooter than, than three point shooting. Three point shooting takes a long time to get up enough shots to build a cohesive sample from. But I starting with the mid range in like early January, you could see he had real confidence in his ability to get to the mid range, to get to his spots, rise up and, and shoot open jumpers. And you could see the thing that crystallized it for me was a, uh, was a, was a game against the bucks where like drew holiday was, was guarding him. And the threat of drew holiday of Jaden Ivey driving on a all NBA, like all world defender, like drew holiday was enough to like make him like take a couple steps back and give Jaden Ivey like an open like 18 footer is like that that is really impressive when other guys are fearful um of of your ability and how that creates shots for you you could you saw that in the Washington game poor Corey Kispert was just like terrified that Jaden Ivey was going to blow right past him and so he just let him walk into 17 footers and and so like that was Jaden had a really impressive game that night um the other but in the shot the three point shooting I remember earlier in the year, we were like, he was in the low 30s. And we were like, I don't know, Ben. And he was taking a lot of threes. He was settling a lot. And we were kind of like, I don't know. Uh, since then, you know, the he's up to 35% from three. He's had like several like very good nights where um, he's and even on like a good night, like he had against Orlando directly after the All-Star break. He was like five of six to the point where he wasn't like, it's like, oh, I'm hot. I'm forcing up like 12 threes. Like, that's not my game. 
um, but I'm doing it anyway. So it's like, no, he's he's taking the shots that are given to him. Um, and the threat, and still like the threat of him driving is still causing teams to go under and he's able to make them pay. Like that is that is good, what's going to turn him in into a three-level scorer because I think eventually he'll fill out, figure out the, the stuff at the rim. And so him making the shooting improvements that he's made, needed to make over the course of the season is also really impressive to me. I His shot looks a little softer to me. I don't know it, what he's changed mechanically, but his shot looks a little softer to me, and I think some, he's tweaked something. And I, I'd have to like slow down and like go like frame by frame through some stuff but like his his shot does look better and cleaner to me and so uh, i've been also impressed by that but yeah Jaden ivy one of the few reasons to be continuously watching the pistons uh at this point in the season when he plays uh like you mentioned he's in health and safety safety protocols uh, get well soon Jaden. all right ben uh the other guy that the pistons added around the trade deadline that we haven't got a chance to talk about yet is rj hampton RJ Hampton was a first round pick uh, a couple of years ago. He came in for basically free. They opened up a roster spot in the James Wiseman trade and Orlando cut Hampton. So they were able to just bring him into the, uh, into the empty roster spot. I believe he's on a two year like minimum deal with the second year non-guaranteed. So he's basically just here for sure for the rest of this season. Uh, so far he's averaging six points a game shooting uh, 41% from two and 40% from three. It took him a couple of games to kind of like get used to like what his role was going to be. But in the last, in the last like three or four games has been uh, it's, you've seen the positive outcomes from what RJ Hampton can bring to this team. So I was going to ask you like, what, what have your thoughts been on RJ and what he's brought so far? Yeah. So I, I agree. It took a couple games to settle in. Mm-hmm. I don't like RJ Hampton when he's trying to press really hard off the dribble because he gets himself all out of sorts and into bad situations. I like him a lot better when he is not pressing off the dribble and settling into the five-man offense and finding open spots to shoot the three and letting other guys who are better off the dribble (laughs) penetrate, right? So I think if... If he could settle into that sort of a role offensively, he could potentially be useful. I also like defensively, he's he's had a lot of nice steals in the passing lane. He's been a little bit of a pest and created a lot of transition looks. He's had some nice, you know, steals that have led to breakout dunks in transition. Pistons haven't had a lot of that. Um, so I like that he's brought that to the table defensively. You know, guys who are first-round picks are first-round picks for a reason, usually. So, you know, no, I, I was a little bit puzzled why you'd pick up Orlando's uh, discards initially when it happened. Honestly, that was my reaction. But, um, you know, he's done some decent stuff. If he's a 40% three-point shooter, I mean, 40% three-point shooters are 40% three-point shooters. And if he plays decent team defense, goodness gracious, we need decent team defense. So... I mean, I don't know if he's going to stick or not, but if he's gonna, I think he has to stick by proving that he can shoot the three, not committing silly turnovers by forcing mm-hmm. it off the dribble because there's guys who are better at it than he is. That's the reality. And he's got to continue to defend and generate positive outcomes, particularly continuing to generate steals and not, not gamble too much. But that that is how he will stick, in my opinion, if he's going to. Yeah. 
I think it was it was noticeable to me how when Hamadou went down, his role kind of clicked into place because that's the kind of role I think I envision him having on this team in the long term if he's here in the long term. It's kind of energy guard slash wing off the bench. He provides a little bit more shooting than Hami. Like I don't think he's a long-term 40% shooter, but he is taking threes and like Hami wasn't and that like that was a good thing because that's not Hami's game, but like not being able to is is a limiting factor. Um but as a guy who's able to make stuff happen on defense, athletic, willing to use that athleticism on defense and offense and is a slightly better shooter than Hamadou, like I can I can see that as a role like for this team moving forward. Um and it it helps, you know, like, yeah, you're right. Like we're picking up Orlando's discards, but like he's, he's free, right? Like is much less of a commitment than like the, like the look at Marvin Bagley or the look at uh, James Wiseman. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm curious to see, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on RJ Hampton as the rest of the season goes on. Um, and I'm curious to see like if he's here next year. It'd be if it comes down to like him or Hami, like I know who I would pick, but that's that's just me. Um, all right, Ben, it's time. Eugene Amorier. Yeah, let's talk about him. It's like he's been he's been good. I don't want to hype up how good he's been because he's a guy on a ten day, and it's not like he's like scoring like twenty five a night or anything. But I've been really enamored with what he's been able to bring to this team. Uh, as a guy who just like defends his position cares about defending his position mm-hmm. and is like not six, three and like not seven feet tall, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's been so much fun, right? Like he's exactly what you'd want out of a 10 day contract because he plays incredibly hard to the point where like he's exhausted by the time he's ready to come out, which is exactly what you want out of a 10 day guy. Um, he obviously doesn't know all of the sets mm-hmm. and all of the schemes offensively, but he still manages to put himself in some good scoring positions. Like he, he cuts to the basket when he should be cutting. He manages to flare when he should flare. He finds space to flatten out to the corner when he should flatten. And he's got a decent touch from the perimeter. It seems like, so like he's managed to fit in really nicely his efficiency stats are pretty good he loves taking charges oh my gosh like (laughs) he lives to take the charge so like yeah man i mean i would say lock him up for the rest of the season especially if Hami is down for the count like for not for no other reason because like fan favorite clearly like people love watching him play like oh yeah just i mean give him the rest of the season to play uh the backup four position with with Stu out with Hami out like Absolutely. And if he keeps playing this well, like he might be a ro- like at least like a rotation, like back end of the rotation, right? Like your fire insurance for man, like absolutely a Pistons kind of player, right? Like right. a guy who relishes just doing the dirty work. So I don't even know if he should be a back of the rotation guy. Like, uh, like if he's like Rodney Magruder instead of Rodney Magruder, like maybe like, sure, I, I get that. But for me, this has just been like so clear an illustration that the Pistons like can get defense and can get uh, like intensity and uh, the kind of like mentality they're looking to build 
without having to play two bigs. You just have to get wings who care about defense. <laughs> and so for me, like Eugene has been great. I think what he means is that they need to prioritize getting defensive minded wings in the off season and worrying less about uh, like just getting overall talented guys. Like if you're starting to try to make improvements, you need guys who like quote unquote fit and a guy who does the dirty work like he does a guy who does not need the ball to be effective offensively. Like he does um, a guy who, again, it's just like kind of built like a truck right? And, like and, a and fullback def- and, and defends like one too. <laughs> Is like you, you. We need more of those guys. Um, we don't necessarily need more, um, more bigs. Not even trying to like denigrate any particular bigs on the roster, but like we have enough of them, right? It's time to bring in some. It's time to bring in some wings who can play some defense and make some stuff happen on offense. And so, like, I love Eugene. We need more guys like him, uh, Ben. But also, the part of the reason why he's getting so much playing time. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of injuries. Some are some are more mysterious and uh, squirrely than others, but there are a lot of injuries. Uh, Bogey Bogey scored 35 against Chicago. Hasn't played uh, since. Probably won't play because he's dealing with uh, Achilles soreness, which is like that's a thing you want to rest. So it it does not seem like we will see Bogey again. Alec Burks uh, has missed three games with a foot issue, and uh, I I don't know if we're gonna see him again anymore. Uh, Isaiah Stewart hurt his shoulder. He has like a shoulder impingement. This might be an this might be an extension of like the previous shoulder injury he had like earlier in the season, and so he has been sitting. I, I don't know. I haven't heard any timetable for his return, but uh, it, it does not seem like he will be back anytime soon as well. And then of course, Hamadou Diallo tweaked an ankle against the Bulls against Charlotte against. Washington. He tweaked his I think ankle. It was a, Washington. Yeah, he tweaked a he tweaked an ankle in a home game this week, um, and he will be according to the team. He will be reevaluated in three to four weeks. The season ends in like five weeks, so we are probably seeing the last of Hamadou Diallo this season. That's a lot of injuries, Ben. That's a lot of room for other guys to step up and uh, enter rotation spots. But that's also a lot of like when you think about like Bogey and Burks missing. That's a lot of talent missing for this team we're going to talk about their record next but the the pain of those vets being uh unavailable has definitely been felt as we've watched pistons basketball this week yeah it's been rough i mean they managed to be a little bit competitive i mean they gave washington they were in it till literally the last play right they gave up the offensive rebound they would have gone into overtime with some competent defense whether they would have won or not not sure um, but then otherwise, you know, weren't necessarily in it against Indiana, for example. Yeah. So yeah, the the fake comeback against Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. They they haven't really been in some of these games, right? And that, yeah. that's really because the, the talent just isn't there. Um but really I don't see much reason to play bogey, to be perfectly honest. I mean, he's old. There's no sense hurting him. Um same with Burks. I think really though, this gives livers a chance to play and get big minutes because he missed so much time. He's, he's had some nice moments. He's had some rough moments, but he's had some nice moments too. He was, you know, he really struggled when he came back in the middle of the season. So I feel like giving him something to build on at the end of the year would be nice. So give him some big minutes. Hami's ankle roll looked pretty rough to me 
when he when he tweaked it like he he was putting a lot of his weight on it and trying to push and ah just it looked rough so i wouldn't be surprised if he misses the rest of the season um they've lost 11 in a row i believe is that right that is correct they have won 15 games will they have a losing streak of 15 games to match the win total as that would be hard i think as a as a player on the team to deal with that would that would hurt and it seems it seems possible to me because they they just don't have a lot i mean especially if Jaden ivy is out mm-hmm. like if because he could i mean he's gonna miss probably five at least five days right so that seems very possible to me so they are the worst team in the league uh i believe they are tied for they're tied for fewest wins with houston unless houston won last night which i doubt um they have they have won they have lost eleven straight like you mentioned they have not won a game since the trade deadline like you mentioned um, it is entirely possible that this is the second worst rec- uh, team in franchise history by record they need to win two more games over their next uh, I think it's either fifteen or fourteen games to tie the 79-80 Detroit Pistons who are one of those like Dick Vitale train wreck teams. Um, but it they need to win like five more games to beat 20 wins. And that is looking like a, a really tough task at this point. Uh, they losing or losing both of those games to Charlotte after the All-Star break was rough. Like Charlotte is the other like sort of bad team in the Eastern Conference. Lamelo did not play in the second half of the first game and did not play at all in the second game. You Charlotte has been like more frisky lately, but you definitely hope to be able to win one of those other games against like one of the lower tier teams. Um, like I, I don't think like they they end the season on like. 25 game losing streak or something like that <laughs> oh my but God. but like it's entirely possible they win like 18 games and it's just they, they set and they almost set a record for like team futility which is uh which again like is a, is a rough place to be in year three of your alleged like rebuild right and they haven't even called it a rebuild, right? Like they keep wanting to use the word restore. Like that's sure. I don't know if whatever that's just they want to call branding it, yeah. hype or whatever. But yeah. I mean, you look at the 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 schedule too, right? I mean, they don't have a lot of easy stuff left. They've got Houston and Orlando, and we've got a bunch of playoff teams and aspiring play-in teams, right? Like the last two games of the season, Indy and Chicago, they may have. Depending on how things play yeah, out, those two those games could be meaningless. Those games, yeah. yeah, they could be meaningless, or Indian Chicago could be fighting for their play-in lives, right? Like, it, it it's not it's not going to be easy. Like, I think pretty much every game, except Orlando and Houston, they those teams are going to be trying very hard to win. I think, like, it's Miami. Atlanta, Toronto, OKC, Houston, like Houston, Orlando are the only two. Yeah, everyone like, else is going to be trying to win because they want they're going to be jockeying either for playoff position or desperately trying to get into the play-in. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's even eighteen wins that's not going to be easy. 
like this is one of the ways in which like the compressed uh the the play-in as a goal for other teams is like not helping them right because like you mentioned like indiana and chicago like if if indiana chicago were like nine and ten and like three games back on the final game like final days of the season like they would probably like not care as much about those games i don't know man uh to be fair they just lost to indiana without halliburton and miles turner and uh mcconnell mcconnell It's, it's just like it, it's going to be tough for them to win games regardless. It was like, if you had told me before the season, like, hey, Cade only plays 12 games, like how many games will this team win? I'd have been like, wow, this is going to be a really tough season. Um, it's like, but I would have still said like 23 or 22 games to finish with like five fewer wins than that. Yeah. And to have to work hard over these last like five weeks to finish <laughs> at, at 18 wins. Is like not. It's just not a good sign for for the long term future of this team. It was like you know, we've talked about this a lot. Like, how many wins is Kate Cunningham going to be worth? Is Kate Cunningham going to be worth fifteen wins by himself? It's like <laughs> that's not even at this point. That's not even going to get you to the play in. Very like, few guys are worth that much. Yeah. So we've seen internal development from other guys this season. You definitely like Jaden Ivey. You hope you know like Jalen Duran um, makes a leap. You you hope you keep Bogey healthy and like you you add more things to this team, but yeah, like the what this team looks like is going to look like next year is going to be like really tough for for me to imagine just like moving forward. It's it's going to be weird. I mean, and like you know, they could have the number one pick that would probably help, but that's not a guarantee either. All right, Ben. Last but not least, but still kind of at the caboose end of things is Killian Hayes. <laughs> uh, Killian Hayes can't could not make a shot uh, during and after the Paris game. Um, he shot thirty one percent from the floor and twenty three percent from three in like the fifteen games after that Paris game. Uh, he hit his hand, I think, against Toronto. He's uh, like he had thumb numbness. Uh, he compl- oh, it's against Cleveland because I didn't watch that game. He complained of numbness. Uh, he sat out for a couple of games and then uh, he came back uh, against Washington. And then mysteriously, last night without Jaden Ivey uh, and with the ball in his hands a bunch, he was back to full uh, quote unquote effectiveness for Killian Hayes, which would be production but not efficient production. 17 points. 13 assists against uh, against the Pacers last night. But Ben, if he can really only reach that level of production as a starter or as a guy who has to have the ball in his hands a lot, that's that seems kind of an issue for the team moving forward, right? Numb thumbness, thumb numbness. Killian Hayes. Um Killian only seems to play well with the ball in his hands, right? And it seems to be that the Pistons have two other guards who are better than him with the ball in their hands, right? In Cade mm-hmm. and Ivy. Yep. And that that yeah, that seems to be a problem. I would I would agree. I mean my my dream scenario is that all three of them come to fruition and there's some way that they can situationally share the floor together and Killian can maybe defend some small, small forwards. But um, that seems less and less likely to come to fruition because Killian off the ball just doesn't seem to be 
working. And yeah, that's a problem. I would agree with you. And, uh, you know, I don't think the Pistons have to rush into moving on from him because I don't think there's anywhere that he would necessarily be attractive to anybody. Yeah. But it would sure be nice if he could be productive off the bench in a 18 to 20 minutes per game role with the second unit. But that hasn't necessarily come to fruition either. The thing that's made this tough for me is that Jaden Ivey's in-season progression as a ball handler has been rapid enough and advanced enough to make me think that next season you would want to do the thing where you would stagger Caden Jaden, right? You'd start them together for the first six minutes, take out one, let the let the other one like run the offense until the end of the quarter, swap them at the beginning of the quarter for six minutes, and then bring both of the and then like play both of them to end in the quarter and in the and in the half. And if both of those guys are better than Killian Hayes, are proven ball handlers better than Killian Hayes, and are able to do like what he's supposed to do at a higher level, and he can't necessarily as do the do the off ball stuff as much. It does not make a lot of sense for him to be here. Um, some some of the DBB members have like really been on this too, where it's like if you were getting even like league average efficiency from that backup point guard spot, which you are not getting right now from Killian Hayes, it's like the offense would just be in a much much better spot from a uh, from an efficiency standpoint and from a production standpoint. Um, Killian had the 30-game stretch where it looked like he was figuring things out. He has regressed. Maybe he can get back to the Killian we saw uh, like against Dallas, for example. But it would not surprise me at this point if the decision was made to upgrade on Killian Hayes uh, this offseason. Again, they, they keep saying to next year is the year they want to turn it around. Next year is the year they want to be competitive. It's going to be tough to be competitive if you have a guy with like a sub 50% true shooting percentage having the ball in his hands for 18 to 20 minutes a night because that's the role he's best at. So long story short, I, I'm i not going to predict they like move on from Killian, but like I would not be surprised if they decided to keep him on the roster again because like I don't know how many teams are interested in a Killian Hayes, but uh, bring in like another Alec Burks level veteran to take precedence over him in terms of minutes. Yeah. And I mean, there have been moments in the last handful of games too, where even Corey Joseph, it feels like outperforms Killian. And that's, I didn't have space to put Kojo on the sheet, but Kojo has been balling the last couple. Yeah. And it's like, that's not where you want to be if you're Killian Hayes. Yeah, definitely. All right, Ben, the Pistons play the Pacers on Monday. Uh, they play the Wizards on the road on Tuesday on a back-to-back. They play the Nuggets on Thursday. The like suddenly sliding Nuggets lost to San Antonio, lost to Chicago. Been been weird for them, uh, but they play the Nuggets on Thursday, and then they play the Miami Heat on Sunday. Sixteen wins somewhere in there this season in this week. Uh, that's not a very friendly. I mean, Washington looked pretty vulnerable, right? True. I mean, true. It was a a game of runs. So maybe, maybe that Washington game. But I feel like, you know, I guess it depends on when Jaden is back. He let's see, he missed 
He missed last night's game. I'm not exactly sure how many days he has to miss. But it's is it is it at least five? I think it's at, it's at least five days, right? So maybe yeah. he could be back by Denver. Yeah, but I don't know. Oh my goodness, what is Jokic going to do? If is he healthy right now? He is, is he going right to be healthy by Thursday? Yeah. I mean, oh, he's just going to feast, right? Oh my goodness, Jokic versus Wiseman, just oh, like no. two, just the processing power of those two people are just like a very different yeah. ends of the spectrum, different levels. I don't know. I would like. I would love it if they could. If they could beat India or Washington, that would be. I mean, just to end the streak, right? Just end mm-hmm. the streak and get a win. That would be fantastic. I mean, Miami will be recording before they play Miami on Sunday. You never know with Miami right now. They've had such a weird season. But I don't think it's Denver. Maybe Indiana or Washington. Maybe. Probably not yeah. Indiana, though. Maybe Washington. Yeah. That that Rockets game on the 31st is looking oh, real important for so like far not, away. Oh not futility. Yeah. <sighs> maybe, you know, maybe the Thunder, maybe the Thunder start punting as well. I don't know. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a rough uh, go of things until the end of the season. But I'm glad I got you to talk to it about this, Ben, because like otherwise I would just be driving <laughs> my family crazy. <laughs> Uh, let the people know where they can talk to you, where they can get your thoughts about how the Pistons have been and how we can drive each other crazy instead of <laughs> inflicting it on our loved ones. Well, first of all, I appreciate the well wishes a few weeks ago to those who left those in the Detroit Bad Boys comments. Had a rough go of it, to be perfectly honest, the last few weeks, but uh, turning the corner in the Golker household, and I appreciate the well wishes from everyone. Detroit Bad Boys comments are the best place at the moment, otherwise at... BR Golker on Twitter when that very wonderful website is working the way it's supposed to. Yeah, they uh, it keeps breaking. I don't love that. Um, and of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I am also lurking around the Detroit Bad Boys posts. Um, I see a lot of draft discussion, a lot of thoughts about the future. I, I prefer to, you know, just observe for now, but I will be putting out some off-season uh, planning stuff, and I'm excited to see how that, that pans out. But, yeah, thanks for thanks to everyone who has stuck with us through this 15-win season, um, through this, uh, this dry spell. I'm super excited to see Cade Cunningham play basketball again. That might be the thing that sustains me throughout the long summer. Uh, but we appreciate you all for listening, and uh, we will talk to you all next week. Thank you.